0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 22, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Why did so much of American foreign policy not represent the values of restraint and limited government? Doug Bandau, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, addressed that and other questions in his talk at the Cato Club 200 retreat held last month. This is a portion of his speech. It's very hard, you know, to have a liberty at home if what you're doing is practicing big government abroad. And I think we see that in terms of American foreign policy. If you look at those horrid budget numbers, you know, part of that is military spending. The U.S. today accounts for roughly half of all military spending on Earth. If you adjust American military spending in real terms, we spend more today than we did at any point during the Vietnam War, the Cold War, or the Korean War. It's an extraordinary amount of money at a time where the traditional threats that we faced aren't there. I mean, the Soviet Union is gone, Maoist China is gone. You know, we're no longer living kind of this fear of nuclear holocaust. So, this matters. You know, in essence, foreign policy is the pri- military spending is the price of your foreign policy. If you want to be very active abroad, you have to have a large military. Now, out of fairness, and if nothing else, to our service personnel, you can't put, draw a lot of lines around the world and then not have the force you know, to back those up. Randolph Bourne, a social historian of the 20th century, called war the health of the state. I mean, you just it's kind of the ultimate big government program. You know, and our concern is we want to promote liberty at home. You want a foreign policy that is reflective of that commitment to individual liberty and a limited government in the United States. And our foreign policy today is very expansive. Now, I mean, the most important duties that we engage in are the ones that we do the least of today, which is, in a sense, deterring big threats. You know, China, which I'll talk about a little later on, is the one that people worry about in the future, but we're talking very much future. The good news of the Cold War is all of those horrid systems that Ronald Reagan rightly called an evil empire are gone. So that which is, you know, kind of basically defending our society, we don't have today. The most important, you know, active threat of course is terrorism, but it's not a threat that's very easy to deal with with carrier groups, armored divisions and the kind of military that we have today. We're also very engaged in nation building both in Iraq and Afghanistan. And this is a process that, especially in Afghanistan, where we've really transformed the mission from originally going in to punish a regime that supported Al-Qaeda that attacked us, to trying to create a modern nation state you know, in a place that it's very hard to see how that's going to work out. Malou Innocent and I visited uh, Afghanistan back in May. We spent 10 days there. You know, and there are a lot of very good people who want to build a liberal society. It's just not at all clear how we can do that from the outside. Finally, the U.S. is very good at subsidizing wealthy allies around the world. Talk about the dole, it's not just Asia, but you know, it's NATO countries. NATO countries have 10 times the GDP of, the, of Russia. Why on earth do we have to take care of problems like Kosovo and Bosnia? Who are we defending them from? And it's particularly a problem throughout uh, East Asia, where we look particularly at Japan and uh, South Korea, but there are a number of other countries there that rely upon the United States. And what's important to recognize is that a foreign policy really should be dependent on circumstances and environment. A foreign policy that made sense in 1945, at the end of World War II, American allies devastated, active Soviet Union, you know, impending revolution in China, is not a foreign policy that makes sense in 2010, at a time where the Soviet Union is gone, the Cold War is over, Maoist China is gone, and America's allies have developed, sprung far, far ahead of any potential threats there. The future issues, I would argue, for Asia is going to center around the U.S.-Chinese relationship, and we really have the superpower and the potential superpower. And we think about a potential peer competitor to the United States, it's going to be China, and I think the 21st century, how it turns out, is going to depend an awful lot on that relationship. What we want to avoid is what happened with Germany. When Germany kind of its onset onto the international stage, it took two world wars to figure out how that country fit in. We don't want world wars with China to figure out how it fits in. And this is going to be, I think, an extraordinary challenge for us in the coming years. (laughs) And it's a genuine challenge that, uh, you know, this is a country that's growing, that's very active, I think that, you know, sees itself as having, you know, very uh, significant ambitions, which went through a period where it was almost dismembered by the West and now is kind of back onto the international stage. And if we're thinking about what to do about it, what our allies want to do is a very important aspect of this. Japan is our most important ally. Chris is going to focus on Japan. You know, at least until today, it was a second ranking economic power. We're kind of in a transition period. The numbers suggest that China is in the process of passing them by. Nevertheless, Japan remains a very significant player in the region. There are a number of smaller countries that matter a lot. Uh, Australia is very active, has an active foreign policy, very friendly to the United States. The ASEAN countries in Southeast Asia, even Taiwan, which buys weapons from the United States. And then there's Korea. You now, we've had a long standing relationship with Korea, a bilateral defense alliance. It's really, I mean, a unilateral guarantee. The South Koreans don't plan on rescuing us. The purpose of the alliance is to rescue them. But that has really is an issue which I think Cato has helped make a name in. Ted Carpenter and I have both written an awful lot on this issue, presented a lot of arguments that I think most people now in the foreign policy field are aware of. They don't like them for the most part. Certainly, my South Korean friends don't like them. Nevertheless, Cato has helped position itself as raising these issues and saying, you know, 65 years later, what what is going on? Haven't things changed? And I think it's a good example, kind of a prototype for our problems in foreign policy today. Where you have a case where there was was an initial argument for involvement. I mean, very complex. What do you do when you're coming out of World War II? Japan is being conquered. Korea is a, a colony of Japan. Do you leave it alone? Do you let the Soviets occupy the entire peninsula? Do you divide it? We ended up dividing it. You know, then you create a state, do you defend it or not? You know, there was an argument, I think, throughout that period for American involvement. But that was, you know, 60-odd years ago. The question is, what do you do today? And it's like many of our commitments, they make sense at one point in time, but then kind of inertia, I'd argue perhaps public choice economics, is they persist forever. We found that actually with NATO. When the Cold War ended, the Berlin Wall fell, there was a lot of discussion about transforming NATO to new missions. People even talked about things like combating the drug war and promoting environmental protection. Now this, of course, is the quintessential anti-Soviet alliance with armored divisions to prevent the Red Army from pouring pouring forth through the Fulda Gap in Germany. you, You see much the same thing, I would argue, if you're looking throughout East Asia where the threats that were once there are gone, America's allies are far stronger, what on earth are we doing today? Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.